0: Well, it's a great joy to be with you again, and to be able to come and share from the Word of God with you, trusting that the Lord will bless us, bless each one of us, as we come now to look at his Word together. We're turning this morning to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, and principally our thinking will be right at the end of the verse where Paul uses these remarkable words, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved. Accepted in the beloved. I think most of you here will know the account, the story of Charles Spurgeon's conversion. How on one very snowy, wintry day, as he was making his way to his regular place of worship, it was impossible that he could get there. He was a young man. He wasn't yet saved. Impressions had been made upon his soul at different times. So there was a desire, but he wasn't yet the Lord's. And such was the difficulty of the weather that he turned into a Methodist chapel that was there in Colchester. The weather was so bad, you'll know, that the regular preacher, the uh, preacher who was due to come, wasn't able to make it. And so a gentleman from within the congregation uh, took to preach the message that morning. And he took, uh, look unto me all the ends of the earth and be ye saved. And uh, he wasn't much of a preacher, you know the story. There wasn't much that he could do or say except to continually urge all who heard to look to the Lord Jesus Christ and his work there Upon the cross. And at one moment during the sermon, he singled out Mr. Spurgeon. Young man, he said, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you looked? You must look. And in that moment, Mr. Spurgeon did look and felt that he had trusted and accepted the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. Well, we all know that part of the story the story actually goes on just a little because leaving that chapel Spurgeon felt that he truly had accepted all that the Lord Jesus Christ had done on the cross and accepted that alone for the forgiveness of his sins but there remained a question in his mind would Jesus accept him Yes, I can accept all that he has done on my behalf, but would he receive me? Would he accept me? Well, the weather cleared and he was able to go to his regular chapel that evening. And it was this text upon which the preacher spoke that evening, accepted in the beloved. And for Spurgeon, that was so wonderfully confirming and brought him to full assurance He had come to see in the morning the necessity of accepting what Christ had done. He had seen in the evening that in doing so, Christ received and accepted him. He now felt and knew that he was accepted in the beloved. Well, psychologists tell us that acceptance is one of the greatest needs of all human beings. Perhaps in older generations it wasn't spoken of or it wasn't kind of documented in the same way. But these days these psychologists, they sit down and they think about these things and they ascribe or they assign different modes of acceptance that we might be able to access or need or receive at different times in our lives. I'm going to suggest three. There may be others... I haven't made an extensive study of this myself, but there is acceptance which is earned. Acceptance which is earned because you meet certain criteria. We'll speak about that a little in a moment. You might think of when you go for a job interview. Do you meet the criteria to fulfil that position? And I will remember When I uh, went for my present teaching post, I had to fill out the form. I had to, first of all, give all my qualifications, all the exams that I'd passed, my teaching qualifications and other qualifications. But that wasn't sufficient. I had then to teach a lesson. Could I establish, could I show that I met the criteria by being able to teach a lesson in an appropriate way? But there were other criteria as well. There was a a, a criminal uh, investigation. Do I have any charges against me? My background had to be looked into. I had to bring my birth certificate and prove that I was the person that I said I was. And only when all of those criteria were met was the offer made. And I was accepted for the post That I was there, but having been accepted, one felt that one had earned that acceptance by meeting all of the criteria. But there's a second kind of acceptance that we might think of, and that is because on, on account of a relationship, if you're a member of the family, that tie, that bond, that love that exists within the family means that you have an acceptance. It, it may not ever be spoken of in those terms, but it is an automatically given acceptance. That relationship joins you together and you have a, that sense, that feeling of belonging to a family because of the relationships that exist. Well, that's a second kind of acceptance. And then these days there's another Kind of acceptance. I don't think you would have seen it so much in previous generations. It's very much an in-your-face kind of "you've got to accept me as I am." You've just got to receive and accept me for what I present as. And very often that is, in some sense, is quite offensive, and quite difficult, because. Uh, of all that is behind that but that's another form of acceptance that might be uh, seen in present day society. Well as the Apostle Paul here speaks of all Christian believers being accepted in the beloved it might seem to us that this is a very staggering and a very bold claim that Christians can say with absolute certainty that they are accepted by God. Is that arrogance? Is that a staggering and a bold claim that goes beyond of anything reasonable to say that we know that God accepts us, that God accepts me? And the response of the unconverted person might be, What's so special about you Christians? What is it then that makes you so remarkable that you should be accepted by the Lord God and accepted in the beloved? You see, so much that we see in the world's response to this kind of thing is that that acceptance must be earned. That must be something that we accomplish And I've spoken a little of that already. This influences our approach to Almighty God. And there may be some here, even this morning, who as we begin to think of this verse, this concept of being accepted by God in the beloved, you think, well, perhaps I qualify. Perhaps I meet the conditions. I live a moral life. The life that I live is a clean and upright life. I do my very best to abide by the laws of the land. I do my very best to bring my life into line as far as I can with what I read and see in the Bible. And I am a clean living sort of person. Others may add to that, well, I go to church and you're all here this morning. In a place of worship. But do you think that that qualifies you for acceptance with God, that week by week you're found in your seat, you join in the singing, you follow the prayers and the Bible readings, you listen to the sermon. Will God receive me? Will God accept me? Because I'm a regular worshipper. And we may go on to say, and I'm Certainly not as bad as many others that I could mention. And we may look around us and compare ourselves with the lives of others that we see. And as we see perhaps the extremes of sin and vice that certain others engage in, that puffs us up. And we imagine therefore that we're somewhat better than those who indulge in sinful practices so openly and so apparently without any check. And therefore we think that God will surely be pleased with me because I'm far better than so many others. And then we may even go so far as to say, well, yes, I acknowledge that there are some things about my personality, my character, my conduct which are not what they ought to be. But surely, if you put all those negatives on one side, all the good things that I do will outbalance, outweigh those bad things. And I will be accepted by God on the basis that the good things that I do far outweigh any faults, any failings in my character. And I may even go so far as to say, and many do, That if the God of the Bible is a God of love, surely he will accept me. I'm depending on him accepting me, overlooking my waywardness, my sin and my failings. But you know, far from the Christian's claim of acceptance in the beloved, acceptance with God is being arrogance, any view like those ones that I've described, they are arrogance. The very idea that we can dictate to God, that we can determine the standard and what it should be that pleases God so that we can be accepted. All of these are unwarranted assumptions that are in the hearts and in the minds of so many and they'll keep us from any sense of, of true and genuine acceptance with Almighty God. What are we doing? All of these ideas, my moral life, my regular worshipping, my not being as bad as so many others that I could mention, the good that I do outweighing the bad, what are we doing? We're lowering the standards to suit ourselves. Sorry to use another illustration from school, but just recently we had a new head appointed. And one of the things uh, that the head noticed was that although for the sixth formers there was a dress code, there was an established standard that those sixth formers should abide by as they came into school, she noticed that they were actually uh, dressing much lower than that required standard. But rather than insisting that they meet the standard, what did that she do? But she brought the standard down to where they currently were. And so rather than being smart office wear, uh, a suit and tie, and a smart dress for the girls, it was brought down to smart casual. And uh, so th- the standard was set. And of course you know what happened next, that the children came in at an even lower standard and they pushed the boundaries even lower. And that's exactly what we do in this matter. We seek to bring the standard down as low as we possibly can and we then go even lower than that. Yes, Paul's statement is a very bold, a very bold statement. Every Christian believer accepted in the beloved, but it is uh, something beca- uh, it is something that we can uh, uh, depend upon because the acceptance that is spoken of here is radically different, and on a unique basis, this is not on anything that is of ourselves. It shifts the emphasis away entirely from ourselves. Let's look at the verse again. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Our acceptance with the Lord Jesus Christ and through him is not upon, based upon anything in ourselves. He hath made us accepted in the beloved. There's nothing that we can do. And this is the first step towards acceptance with Almighty God. We've got to cast away and abandon and forget entirely all our own efforts to gain acceptance with him. And we begin to see in these verses the basis of our acceptance. We see it firstly in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. It's entirely based upon the grace of God towards us. And that's spoken of again in verse 7 in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. It's grace, grace alone that enables us to be accepted. In the beloved. Grace, gifts received at Christ's expense. And even our acceptance, even our being accepted by God in the Lord Jesus Christ, adds to the glory of His grace. And verse 7 is according to the riches of His grace. His grace is so abundant. It is so wonderful, it is so free, that every time a sinner repents and comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and receives this acceptance of which the verse speaks, we see a a wonderful uh, evidencing of the bounty and the grace of God towards us. But we're also told here in verse 7, that this acceptance is based upon redemption. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood. A price has had to be paid in Christ's blood, in his sufferings and death. Upon the cross at Calvary. My acceptance with God. Nothing to do with myself. Comes entirely from the redemption. Purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. I'm a slave to sin. I'm under the dominion of the enemy of souls. Before conversion. Before my salvation. I'm an enemy of God. I'm far from him. I'm a rebel against him. Acceptance is impossible. And I have this mountain of guilt as each sin is counts against me. There's nothing that I can do. Christ alone can pay the price. And when he went to that cross on Calvary, oh, it's so astonishing even to try to contemplate. As he hung there, And as his blood was shed, poured out, that blood was the fountain in which I am dipped for the forgiveness and cleansing of sin. And if I'm to be set free from the one under whom I am currently under dominion, the enemy of my souls, that price must be paid to set me free. And that liberty to be granted to me. Redemption Secures acceptance in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. I am corrupt in God's sight. Even my very best acts are unholy and tainted by sin and need cleansing. I need the forgiveness of sins. If ever I am to be accepted uh, by my God. And Christ has procured by his sufferings and death the forgiveness of sins for all who come to him. But look at this little phrase again wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in the beloved. Now, we don't have time to look at all the references here, but do reread this first chapter of Ephesians. That little phrase, being in Christ, in him, you'll find repeatedly. It's a wonderful phrase. Verse 1, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, in him. Verse 6, accepted in the beloved. Verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood. And so it goes on all the way through uh, to at least verse 13. Time after time, we are accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it then to be in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it's an expression of our union to him and our utter dependence upon him. It is that we yield over our lives entirely to his control. Before my conversion, I want my life for myself. No thought of God, no care for my soul, no interest in eternity. The, the, the sins and the guilt that I'm amassing, if it ever presses upon my conscience, I dismiss it or try to crush it or drown it out by the noise, the, uh, uh, the things of this world. But if I am in Christ, well, I acknowledge these things? I see these things for what they are. I come to an end of my own resources and I cast myself entirely upon what he did upon the cross. Our acceptance is all about us being entirely cast upon the mercy and upon the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do so, as we cast ourselves upon him... God sees us in him, covered by him, in him as a refuge. He sees his righteousness credited to us. His shed blood washes the stain of our guilt from us. And as we cast ourselves upon him, oh, what blessings Are ours. There are wonderful pictures given here. Verse 5: having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. We're speaking of acceptance. And part of coming to the Lord Jesus Christ is a complete change in our relationship to our God. There is the, the legal element, our sin. And our guilt, our standing before God. And Christ, by his sufferings and death, pays the debt for us in full. That debt is cancelled. But we're also brought into a new and living relationship with him. We take on a new name. We're given new rights, new privileges. And we're part of a new family. That's what it means to be accepted in the beloved. Well, at the beginning, I mentioned to you three forms of acceptance. The first is this I remind you, meeting certain conditions. Well, to be accepted by the Lord Jesus Christ, none of us can meet the conditions. None of us would be accepted if it depended upon our performance and our lives and our goodness and our righteousness, such is the holiness of our God that we would be sent from his presence for all eternity to be judged. None of us meets the the conditions, but Christ meets the conditions for us. In his sufferings and death upon Calvary, He took away the penalty of our sin and his righteousness, his perfect obedience is a gift to us so that in him we are accepted as though we met the conditions. This is almost too astonishing for us to contemplate. Conditions I could never meet and yet in Christ I'm received as though I've met them. Remarkable. Then we thought, didn't we, of uh, a relationship, family, and so on. The acceptance that comes with a relationship. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ secures for us. We were enemies. We were distant, we were far from the living God. But by his sacrifice and by his death, we are brought close and into this privilege of adoption. A new, a living relationship with God in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're accepted because Christ met the qualifications. We're accepted because we're brought into a new relationship with our God. And then we thought thirdly, didn't we, for a moment about this quite modern idea. You've just got to accept me for who I am. You know, we can even turn that to account. Because if we are to be accepted in the beloved, if we are to be received by our God and to be blessed in this way, in one sense, that's how we have to come. We have to come just as we are. With all our sin, with all that our character warts, we have to really own up to the people that we have been. And we really are by our sinful acts, sinful words and thoughts, by our wicked, sinful nature that actually defines us. And as we come, we confess our sins before him. We hold nothing back. And it's only when we come in that spirit that we will truly be found to be in Christ. And then we will know that acceptance. All those of us who are converted, those of us who have had our sins forgiven, we can look back to a moment in our lives. A moment of great joy. And some people speak of it and when you hear them share their testimonies, it's almost as though their feet scarcely touch the ground for joy. That realisation of being changed and transformed, that could be your experience if you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and come for this acceptance. Come as you are. Confess all your sin to him. Depend upon what he has done. And upon that alone, he meets the conditions for me. And long to have that change of relationship. And he will. He will respond. It is his great joy, even in this present evil generation, to accept needy sinners who come to him just as they are. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, O Lord, how we long to know that we are accepted of Thee. And O Lord, we pray for any who as yet do not know this, that they may come to Thee even today. O Lord, touch our hearts, plant that concern within us, and deal with us in Thy mercy and according to the riches of Thy grace. For we ask these things for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is the hymn 551. Hymn 551. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Hymn 551. Amén uh-huh. Jesus Christ, our Saviour, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us now and for evermore. Amen.